0: There's something strange going on right now in the way Republicans talk about people who are LGBTQ. If you listen in on how Republicans speak to each other, you can hear it's even strange for them.
1: All in favor of adding this language, say aye. Aye.
0: This is a meeting that took place in Texas last month, the biannual Republican convention. The eyes have it. It's adopted. Thank you. The people in this room are writing up their party platform going through a document that's projected on a big screen. Someone's about to add a little new language, about a thousand lines in.
1: Um, I want to add the following short sentence. Homosexuality is an abnormal lifestyle choice, period.
0: As you can probably imagine, not everyone is in favor of this change. Uh, anybody want to speak against? Mr. Vaughn? I know, you're all surprised, right? Look, I have not spoken against any other... Jason Vaughn is gay. He's from Houston. And he is pissed. But dropping this on this, this committee right now after these things have been
1: so hard fought, after, honestly, something I deeply disagree with, it's, it's harmful, it's hurting. I was called a pedophile outside. Somebody, somebody screamed pedophile at me because I'm a gay man.
0: I am I'm a member of this committee. I was unanimous. I'm sorry, I shouldn't get this emotional. I'm a member of this committee. I have been committed to this party. I have blocked walked every weekend. Listening to Jason Vaughn's shock is a decent reminder of how quickly mainstream republicanism is moving here. Debating how normal he is feels retro to Jason. Feels retro to me, too. We legalized gay marriage not that long ago. It just seems it was whiplash to me. Yeah, I think whiplash is exactly the right word. It's whiplash. It's backlash. Sam Ames is the director of advocacy and
1: governmental affairs at the Trevor Project. LGBTQ people and youth in particular have seen an enormous amount of progress in recent years. Um, And when I say progress, I mean in in the legal realm, in the policy realm. We have gotten state protections, government protections like we never have before. That said... Progress is never a straight line. It is never linear. Um, We always go back and forth, and often it's the moments after we take the big leaps forward that we see the hardest backlash, and I think that is what we're seeing right now.
0: Sam says what happened at this Republican convention, you could look at it as a case of Texas being Texas. After all, eight years ago, this same convention wrote a platform expressing support for conversion therapy, that would encourage gay kids to become straight. But what made this meeting different is that it capped off a year in which hundreds of pieces of anti-gay and especially anti-trans legislation have been introduced around the country. So this new platform, it seemed to indicate how far some Republicans are willing to go. Reportedly, when a delegate objected to language calling homosexuality deviant, he said, "'We are the Republican Party of Texas,' not the Westboro Baptist Church. And then his motion was rejected.
1: Texas is sort of like like California in some ways. It often acts as sort of a laboratory um, when it comes to state policy. And then I think the other thing that you're picking up on that is really true is that there is a rise in extremism in this country right now.
0: And Sam says, this kind of extremism, it's having a real world impact today on the show. As anti-gay and anti-trans politics become more mainstream, the Trevor Project has a unique point of view. They run a hotline where queer kids are talking about how Republican rhetoric is meeting reality. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Sam, can you just explain a little bit for someone who may not know what the Trevor Project does? So the
1: Trevor Project is the world's largest mental health and suicide prevention organization for LGBTQ youth. We do a number of things. We have 24-7 crisis services. They operate 365 days a year. We have a hotline that young people can call. We have text lines. We have something called Trevor Space, which is a social media platform for young LGBTQ people to connect with one another and get support.
0: Yeah, part of why I wanted to talk to you is that I was trying to imagine being in the shoes of a kid who is young and queer right now watching this debate play out. And I realized someone like the Trevor Project, someone like you, is probably best positioned to tell me what that experience is like because I can't imagine it.
1: It is a rough moment to be working in suicide prevention for LGBTQ youth. The content of what our crisis counselors are hearing is changing.
0: What are you hearing?
1: What we're hearing is that trans youth in particular are talking about this.
0: By this, SAM means trans youth are incredibly aware of the names they're being called by politicians. And they're also paying attention to the legislation being introduced to protect kids from learning what it means to be LGBTQ.
1: When we ask them, 85% of trans youth say they are following the debates going on over their existence. And that regardless of whether these bills or policies go into place, just the debate itself, they tell us, is already having a negative impact on their mental health. There are young trans people calling a suicide hotline to talk about politics. That should tell you something is very, very wrong with politics.
0: Well, they're literally calling to talk about politics? Like that's that's what the conversations are?
1: What they're calling to talk about is the way that politics is targeting them, is what they are hearing their leaders say on the nightly news, what they're hearing their elected officials say in debates, what they are seeing themselves depicted as in the media, In order to advance this kind of political platform, they are seeing powerful adults use their authority to target them directly, telling them that there is something wrong with them, that they pose a danger to the people around them, when in reality, they are much more likely to be the victims of violence and bullying and discrimination. But the narrative that they are being inundated with every day is that there is something wrong with their presence in any given room.
0: I wonder if that's a change from years past, like in the past, whether folks calling the Trevor Project were maybe talking about people close to them, family members or people at school who are bullying them or or other concerns that were much more personally close with them. But now they're concerned about something more global and political.
1: I mean, I think that what is political is personal. We've been talking about bullying for a number of years, as well we should, as something that largely takes place in the halls of a high school. The problem is the bullies right now are in the halls of Congress. We're talking about the same ideology, the same thinking, the same even tactics. What's happening is that it's not just in the halls of a high school anymore. And the bullying that's taking place in the halls of a high school has permission from the halls of Congress, right? They are reenacting what they are seeing. I will quote the prophet Stephen Sondheim here and say children will listen. They listen to what their leaders are saying and what feels like it's okay to do to the people around
0: them. Sam says it is Texas that is sending some of the most damaging messaging to queer youth and those who support them. While other places are controlling which kids can compete in sports or what kind of healthcare trans kids can get— Texas took things a step further when earlier this year, Governor Greg Abbott created a pathway for trans kids and their families to be investigated by Child Protective Services.
1: A few months ago when the Texas Department of Family Protective Services had a hearing on whether or not to enact this uh, this non-binding guidance that had been issued by their higher-ups, two organizations, the Transgender Education Network of Texas and Equality Texas, knew that they needed to do something at this hearing, but they but it was so difficult because they couldn't actually bring the people impacted in there. They got 72 cisgender allies to come in and read the testimony anonymously of a young person or their parent who couldn't be there to that day. And every single one started the same way. Everyone started with, I'm reading the testimony of someone who is too terrified to be here. And there is something to that, right? The people who are most impacted by this right now, particularly in Texas, are risking the most by trying to protect themselves and the people around them.
0: No other state has done what Texas did, right, with this order for child protective services? Or did they and I missed it?
1: No, no, they have not. And I want to say that Texas didn't do it either, really. (laughs) Um, What happened was uh, Ken Paxton, the attorney general, issued some guidance that came right before Abbott's. It, the timing is really noticeable for reasons I think we should get into.
0: It was right before the primary election.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, he was on a runoff with, in a runoff election with George P. Bush. He was also under indictment for fraud and being sued by the state bar. He initial uh, issued that guidance. Then Governor Abbott sort of like brought it into a little more powerful of a house, claiming that it was binding. The ACLU and Lambda Legal sued to enjoin it. The Texas Supreme Court ended up lifting the injunction for most of Texas with the exception of the the family at issue. But the court's reasoning was really, really important. It got kind of lost in the shuffle. The court didn't say that Governor Abbott or Attorney General Paxton could carry on investigating families and doctors who support trans kids for child abuse. It didn't say that. What it said was that it makes no sense to put an injunction on something that Governor Abbott and Attorney General Paxton did not have the power to do in the first place. So. In Texas, (laughs) they actually have not been able to order that child abuse investigations begin. What is true is that it has been and always will be in the purview of the Department of Health and Family Protective Services to decide what constitutes an investigation-worthy behavior.
0: And they have the okay from the governor and the attorney general at this point to investigate families of trans kids.
1: They do. What the court did signal, though, was that if somebody is investigated for child abuse, it does not mean that they are a child abuser. It means that it needs to go to court. The Texas Supreme Court signaled pretty clearly that courts were not going to take those uh, cases seriously. Now, it doesn't undo the harm, right? There are a lot of confused bureaucrats and social workers now in the Department of Family Protective Services who are doing what they can to figure out what the clearest order is. It is really possible that they may institute an investigation into someone, but I want to say... That does not mean that that investigation is lawful. If somebody does come knocking, trying to investigate someone for child abuse just for supporting their trans kid or their trans patient, the uh, US Department of Health and Human Services has an Office of Civil Rights where you can report that um, as something that is unlawful, that has happened to
0: you. God, it just creates so much chaos, though. It creates chaos. And the thing is, they
1: know chaos works in their favor. We saw in the days between the court decisions, uh, Attorney General Paxton kept going on Twitter. (laughs) He kept going on Twitter and he kept saying, no, no, the court decision isn't really binding and here's why— Investigations continue, investigations continue. He knows that chaos works in his favor because at the end of the day, these are well-meaning social workers and bureaucrats just trying to follow the clearest order. And when there's a lot of chaos and confusion, it matters as much what people believe as what is true. So no, Texas doesn't really have the authority to prosecute people for child abuse and convict them and and take their kids away. They, They do not legally have that authority. In practice, there are things that can be just as dangerous.
0: We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing, whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a
1: history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it
0: you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I know that you said something like 85% of the youth who are calling the Trevor Project are politically engaged. They're following what's happening in the world around them. And I was doing a little bit of digging and it's it was interesting to me that you had your own story here. Like you've spoken about growing up queer in California when there was open debate about same-sex marriage and how you processed that. I wonder if you'd share that story a little bit.
1: Yeah. Um, I was very lucky in some ways. I grew up in a community that was very supportive of LGBT rights. But, you know, there is there is supportive and then there is seeing your friends and neighbors vote against you. I can remember when I was in, I think, junior high, we had no sex ed whatsoever. If, if they mentioned anything about LGBT people, it was sort of a footnote about an anomaly. Um, but out in the world, they were wildly debating one of the very, very early um, marriage propositions in California. Seeing at school that this was silenced... Out in the world that this was something that deserved attack, that you were the subject of debate, that it, it didn't matter if you ever wanted to get in politics or not. It didn't matter if you ever wanted to open the paper or not. People were going to come for you. That is a really destabilizing feeling as a young person. So I'll say when I was when I was up, up until uh, the day I graduated high school was the day I came out, um, the literal day, as uh, soon as it was safe. So it it still didn't feel safe while I was there.
0: It didn't feel safe because the school was so conservative.
1: Well, the school was conservative. It was, it was back in the early aughts. And even where I grew up in, uh, in California, it was not something that you wanted to be. I can remember very vividly being told what LGBTQ people were as a kid. And I was told, we don't treat them differently. They're different than us, but we, we always treat them with respect and tolerance, which is good. It's a good message. And I walked away from the conversation thinking, OK, we always treat them with dignity and tolerance. God I hope I'm not that. So we 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 had we had some work to do on what it means to actually embrace people rather than just tolerate them, right? But I also I was I was lucky enough to be raised around a lot of theater kids. I was surrounded by this group of people who was constantly inventing and reinventing and reinventing ways to be. I know that we talk a lot right now in the discourse about how there are all of these words and there's new nomenclature and it's all very confusing. And why can't we just go back to the days when there were when there was less of a vocabulary lesson? And what I always say is that I I have the luxury of having been raised on Shakespeare. Shakespeare invented over 1,700 new words. We've invented (laughs) maybe 15. And we've invented words to describe what has always been.
0: Yeah. To me, it felt like there was this moment when the conversation around LGBTQ issues shifted a bit. And to me, it was around 2010 when the It Gets Better campaign started, this viral video campaign where... People started talking about their experiences as teenagers and how things got better when they got older.
1: My name is Perez. You may know me from my website, PerezHilton.com. Hi, this is Janet Jackson.
0: Hi, this is Stephen Colbert.
1: And this video is directed and made with love for those of you who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender.
0: And For a lot of kids, the sense of being alone or apart, I know it can just wear on you.
1: I know how you feel. And there is help out there and you can find support in your community.
0: Because it gets better. People get nicer too. You should be alive to see it. Do you remember that moment? Was it, did it stand out to you too?
1: Oh, absolutely. I remember that campaign very well. I think it was such a moment in history, such a a powerful thing to say. And the truth is it does get better. Or, or maybe you get better, right? Uh, I think we have a lot of changing ways in which these attacks are coming. And they fall differently on different people, right? At, at the time, a lot of those videos were geared toward young gay white men. And for them, it has gotten significantly better than it has for, say, a young trans girl of color who is, who is growing up at the same time. Yeah. Also... While it gets better, it's not linear. We are seeing backlash right now because it did get better and it will get better. And also it's gonna get worse sometimes. And and so much of this work is making sure that we are able to withstand that and that the people who we are protecting right now are able to withstand that. I wanna just say, because I try to say it at every opportunity, we are gonna win this. The question is not whether we are gonna win. Trans youth are going to be protected. We are going to get past this attack on them. The question isn't whether we're going to win. The question is how many of these young trans people are going to live to see the way that we do.
0: You know, there's been so much attention on the way the GOP's pivoted, and also the way extremist groups have pivoted to targeting LGBTQ and trans people this year. And I noticed that the Trevor Project itself has been attacked it all seemed to start with this anti-trans writer who called out the Trevor Project because if you are on the Trevor Project's website chatting with someone, there's something called a quick exit feature where you can, I think you press escape like three times and your browser history is cleared. So it's like if mom walks in the room and you're, you're scared mom's going to see what you're talking about, it'll sort of like boop, delete things. Is that right?
1: That is exactly what it does. It ensures that somebody can remain safe if they were researching something that living in an unsupportive home might put them in danger for.
0: And this is the kind of thing where, like, if a domestic violence hotline might have the same feature, right?
1: Oh, yeah. that That is absolutely where these have been used for years and years.
0: Yeah. And, and then it just sort of spread online. Like, the, that group Moms for Liberty, which got so involved as school boards, was tweeting that... You know, what was happening here was encouraging children to keep secrets from their parents. If someone has heard that kind of talk, I, w- I kind of wonder what you would say to them if they've seen that out there and they don't know what to make of it.
1: Our mission is to reduce the risk of suicide for young LGBTQ people and support their mental health. We know the critical, critical role that supportive families play in keeping these young LGBTQ people safe. And by the same token, the link to suicide risk of having no support around you, of having to exist in a world where you feel at risk all the time. And the number of safe spaces are dwindling, right? We're seeing more and more um, LGBTQ education websites taken off of school computers. We're seeing more and more of these policies include this little devious clause that forces teachers and school staff who a young person comes out to, to then out them to their legal guardians, whether they're likely to be supportive or not, whether that could place them in danger or not. We're seeing this dwindling of safe spaces, and I think that what probably we can all agree on on this earth is that young people deserve safe spaces where they can feel like they aren't going to be attacked for being who they are. And the more of those that we can provide them, um, the safer they're going to be.
0: I wonder if I could do one more thing with you, which is you are the director of governmental affairs for the Trevor Project. So it's kind of your job to walk into state legislatures that might not be very open to what you have to say. And talk to them about the kids you're meeting, and maybe even introduce them to some of those kids. Can you take me inside that work over the last year and like what it's been like?
1: <sighs> Ooh, yes, absolutely. It's hard right now. And and I want to say, not just because of these policies. I actually think that. The the lawmakers pushing these policies are in the minority. There are a lot more lawmakers with questions. What I see over and over is that most people actually do want to be good on these issues. They just need their questions answered. You know, Governor Cox in Utah, when he vetoed their anti-trans bill, he's a Republican, and he he got up and said, this was hard for me. I had to come through some learning with this. And through tears, he talked about the impact of having this group of young trans people in his office talking to him. These kids are—they're just trying to stay alive, and and I and I hope that there will be enough grace in in our state to to find um, to find a, a better solution. I, I don't understand all of this, I I, I don't, but but I'm I'm trying. To, to understand more, um, I'm trying to, to to listen and and learn and uh, and again trying to help kids figure out who they are and and keep them alive.
0: It's interesting to me that you bring up Utah because you're right that the governor did veto the anti-trans legislation, but didn't the legislature override that veto?
1: It did indeed. Yeah, most people do want to be good on these issues. There is a minority that will not be swayed. They have figured out that trans youth make for a really, really effective wedge issue in a really heated election season. Um, That, again, that is just, that is the kind of politics that assumes that there is an acceptable risk of casualties, that, that it is okay that some kids have to fall by the wayside for you to get to power. But I also want to say it's a miscalculation. The most recent polling shows us that a majority of U.S. adults agree that, for example, transies should have access to affirming care as long as it's supported by their parents and doctors. We've put some polls into the field in a few states, including Texas, and found out That if compassion and reason aren't winning over this subset of lawmakers pushing this the hardest, electoral strategy is on our side, too. turns out more than half of Texas voters are actually less likely to vote for a candidate who pushes policies restricting trans kids' access to gender-affirming care. That includes Republicans.
0: But does it matter if it's not the base voters? The base
1: voters are what I say when I say people who have questions. So when it comes to those questions, we should be answering them, right? People have legitimate questions. The questions aren't what are at, at the root of these bills. These bills are about writing trans youth out of existence, and they're about holding on to power.
0: I wonder if in the current political climate, the advice your counselors are offering when folks call the Trevor Project for an ear, someone to talk to, is that advice changing at all because the climate has so radically shifted?
1: The best kind of support, mental health support, crisis support, isn't advice. I don't think I've ever heard a Trevor Project uh, crisis counselor give advice. Our, our role is to be there and listen To remind people that they have support, that they are loved for who they are, that they have more people around them than they probably think they do. They have more control over their own life than they probably think they do. And to be an ear, not a megaphone. What is becoming clearer and clearer as these fights go on is that Young people don't need us to tell them what to do. They are showing up at the state houses. They are coming to hearings. I would not advocate them skipping school to do this, but they are skipping school to do this, and it's got to be a great Mm. civics lesson. They are showing us that they are our next generation of leaders, and they don't need someone telling them what to do. What they need is for us to listen to who they are and what they have to say.
0: Sam, I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking. Sam Ames is a civil rights attorney and the director of advocacy and government affairs at the Trevor Project. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Carmel Del Shad, and Mary Wilson. We got a little help this week from Anna Rubinova. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter, say hello, see what kind of TV I'm watching. I'm at Mary's desk. All right, thanks for listening.